Welcome everyone to our July episode of Voices for Suicide Prevention. As we like to say, our conversations are real talk, real honest, real life. We are talking to another passionate member of our team here at OSPF who's doing incredible things through the AmeriCorps program, which we're going to talk about as well. Fatima Kobo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right, Fatima, so you are our AmeriCorps VISTA, which is one of more than 7,000 members in this program dedicated to helping organizations like ours, like OSPF, alleviate poverty. So can you tell us more about how you heard of this program and why you chose it? I was actually talking to one of my friends last year, I think in October, and I wasn't working, so she mentioned, like, what about, like, AmeriCorps? And I'm like, hmm, that's not a bad idea. I looked into it when I was in college, but I never really thought too much about it. And then when she talked about it, I was like, okay, well, let me just go ahead and look at it and see what kind of programs there are. Because there's like, you know, worst comes to worst, I don't get a job through there, but at least I like took the opportunity to look at it. So I did that. And it was like the first time being in a position where I had so many different interviews. I've never been in that position before. And it was so exciting. And also like nerve wracking to make that decision. And so I did get a job offer, but I like turned it down because I'm like, oh, I'm not moving to Pennsylvania. I'm not doing (laughs) that at all. Um, And then out of all of the um, interviews that I had, I did have an interview with OSPF. And funny enough, I actually thought the interview was at 3.30, but it was actually at 3 o'clock. And so I was like super late and I actually interviewed with Austin and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm super late. I'm not going to get this interview at all. So I called and he was like, oh yeah, that's fine. It was like back to back time. So don't worry about it. So we actually did interview. And after the interview, I was like, oh my God, I'm already late. I bombed this interview. I'm not getting this job <laughs> at all. And then I think it was about like maybe two or three days later, right before he went on um, vacation for this, um, for Christmas, I believe it was. And he sent me an email that Tony wanted to speak with me. And I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) a second round of interview for the job that I didn't think I was going to get. And so I was like, "Okay." so I set up the interview for that. And afterwards, like after the interview and everything was over, I did get the position. I was offered the position. I'm like, oh, my God, didn't think I was going to get it. (laughs) I didn't even think I would be in the position at all to even get a second interview talk list of the position for real. And so I was, okay, well, I want a couple of days to think about it. And so I prayed about it and I just felt this like positivity towards OSPF and just like the work that I'm going to be doing in this particular field. And I was like, okay, this is where I'm going to be. And just being here for the number of months that I've been here so far, didn't think I would do the amount of work and like have the impact that I've had, even just within myself and growing the way that I've grown so much. But I'm like super happy that I made this decision to come to OSPF Mm because there were other positions, but they just didn't excite me as much as this one did. And just, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to work here. <laughs> I wish our listeners could see Fatima's face too, because she's smiling throughout this whole thing. Yes. I, I mean, she's just, she's just, just so energetic, so yeah. passionate. You mentioned college. So we have to let our listeners know you are getting your master's degree right now at Kent State after receiving your undergrad at OU. Cash, you're an OU grad, right? I am. Go Bobcats. Go Bobcats. Go Bobcats. Okay. <laughs> and you are helping uh, OSPF assess Suicide prevention research in underserved communities. So what are you finding? What What's the data telling you and telling OSPF so far? Unfortunately, suicide has been on the rise for a lot of these like underserved communities 
more specifically like the African American community, um, the Asian American community, and even like the Nepali community, which is more like the refugee communities, they are um, noticing lots of suicide rates on the rise, and it's really sad. And for example, like maybe within like the refugee community, there's not a lot of support there. They're now trying to figure out how can we help these people. And so it is a little bit heartbreaking to see those those rates and seeing that on the rise and trying to figure out how can we best serve them. Yeah, and I also want to follow up and just ask about um, the specific like cultural differences that you're recognizing in some of those communities and how it just looks different serving these populations versus what OSPF has done in the past. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest things like with these um, different populations is you can't go in and say suicide. They're not going to listen to you. Um, even mentioning like mental health, they're a little bit weary. They're like, oh, we don't have those kind of problems. And so going in without having that full understanding and saying like, oh, you guys are like, you know, dying by suicide at higher rates than maybe someone in a different community. That's concerning. How can we help you? They're going to be like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have those kind of problems. Yeah. So I remember I went to um, this conversation early. I think it was like the second week of being at OSPF. And it was for the Nepali community, and they mentioned um, the fact that you can't go in and say suicide. Like, they talk about maybe, like, addiction, like alcohol addiction or, like, gambling addiction. And that's an easier way to get people talking about these things. And even, they won't even say, like, oh, I'm depressed. They will use, like, oh, I feel really sad. Some days I can't get out of bed. Um, I just have this overwhelming fear of, like, I don't want to be here anymore. But they're, the term, like, depressed is not something that they say And so going in and saying, like, oh, like, yeah, there's a lot of people dying by suicide. They're like, yeah, no, we're not listening to anything that you have to say to us because that's not something we deal with. Do they think that those taboo words will eventually change? I mean, or is it that entrenched that it it may not? Honestly, it's a that's a difficult question because I feel like it could change. But the people who are going to be a part of that change are the youth. And if they're not given the freedom to talk about those things more openly and more honestly, then that change is not going to come. Also, really quick, I just want to talk about your work with the Muslim community because you yourself are Muslim and you share so much of your culture with us and we love that. Um, Can you tell us just what you found in that community as well? It's the same thing with the Muslim population. Um, We are able to talk a little bit more about suicide, I'm sorry, not suicide, mental health. But even that, it's like a big challenge. They're like, yeah, we don't have mental health struggles. And um, neglecting the fact that, like, Islam was one of the first, like, religions to promote, um, like, a wellness, especially, like, mentally, like, a mental wellness, and even creating um, those, like, psychiatric wards long before any other country even, like, thought of doing something like that. But I don't know where the disconnect happened that we kind of, like, knew all that information and then we deviated And now we don't talk about mental health. We don't talk about, like, suicide, where even in Islam, like, suicide is a sin. And so you can't even say, like, oh, I'm feeling suicidal because then they're like, oh, well, you're not a good Muslim or you don't have, like, faith and you're not, like, trusting in Allah and stuff like that. And so it does make it really difficult for people to seek that help because the stigma, the taboo around talking about mental health, talking about suicide is, like, so prevalent. And so... I'm trying to figure out how to, like, break that stigma and let people Mm -hmm. know, like, it's okay to not be okay. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're depressed or you have anxiety or you have bipolar or anything like that. It's just acknowledging that I am struggling and I need help. Broad question. Do do you feel like 
Muslim communities, Asian communities, black, Hispanic communities and populations in Ohio, do they feel like they have a voice in this space? I don't know. I don't really think that they do because a lot of the programs specifically for like suicide prevention are for like, you know, white Americans, to be completely honest, is being transparent. Um, And so for like these underserved communities, there is as I've been like working with these different organizations across the state of Ohio, they continuously let me know we don't have suicide prevention, anything. We don't have rat cards. We don't have programs. We don't have anybody speaking about these things. And so the people who are struggling, they don't know where to go because they're like, well, I want to talk to someone who looks like me or someone who I don't have to explain myself to this person. How do they do that when there's no programs related to them? And so it's like, For the most part, I don't really think that they do have a voice. And I think that what you've been doing is so critical and so foundational, especially for the Muslim community. Can you just talk a little bit about that experience you had going to a mosque and and talking to people about mental health and suicide prevention? It was a great experience. I was very nervous going in. Like My anxiety was like through the roof. Um, It was really nice to have positive feedback coming from the people who were in the audience. Everybody was super attentive and they were all like happy to be there, which made the whole experience like a lot better. Um, They did ask a lot of questions, which was great. And I did have, it wasn't like a lot of people, which I kind of hoped that there were more people, but I was, I had the understanding that it's one of those things that not everybody's okay and not everybody's ready to talk about it. And so the people who were in the audience, they asked questions, they were open, they were like ready to receive this message. And I just know that upon them getting that message, they're going to take it out and they're going to use it for themselves and use it maybe to other people and be able to tell them like, hey, if you need help, you can call this number. And like even with that, like I created these rack cards and I took that with me and I was able to leave them with, I think, like 300. So that was great. Yeah, that's (laughs) a big number. Yeah, they were like. Yeah, we need this. We need this resource here. We really do. Speaking of being ready to talk, um, Cassie and I, on on our episodes here, we talk about generational differences and how people do talk about mental health and suicide prevention. Your generation, Gen Z, is again. It, it, this is this is broad, but generally more vocal and more open to talking about these issues, having these conversations. Why do you think that is? Because we noticed that there is a need for the conversation to be had. And I also feel like in this particular way, social media has a positive impact. Um, Whereas like the older generations didn't have social media, even though social media is not great. But I think when it comes to like certain things, like, for example, like using your voice, being able to speak up for yourself, talking about maybe some struggles that you're having. When you go on social media, a lot of people are able to speak about that Mm -hmm. and they're able to say like, yeah, I am struggling. This is a resource that I use that was was helpful for me. And so maybe if you want to look into it, it'll probably help you, too. But like I know, for example, like with my parents, They didn't talk about mental health growing up. Even for us, we didn't talk about it, but we struggled with it. We knew it was something that was there. And I remember in high school, um, I think it was like Nationwide Children's Hospital, they came to our high school and they talked about like suicide, like signs to look for and stuff like that. And I just know like within my parents, they didn't have anything like that. And so our generation is making it easier to talk about those things, easier to acknowledge like, yeah, I am struggling and I want to talk to someone, even though not everybody does take that, but we are able to like talk about it a little bit more. (laughs) Well, and I can say here, I'm old enough to be a parent of yours, Fatima. And, and there was never anything like that for me in my high school or even, even in college Mm -hmm. for, I mean, it just wasn't 
talked about. Yeah. It just wasn't. So something else facing Gen Zers and millennials, people of color and at-risk populations, increasing these gaps in economic prosperity, especially in central Ohio, there's this broad juxtaposition. This region is the fastest growing region in the Midwest. We're a dynamic logistics hub and auto manufacturing hub, and we're landing companies like Intel. And yet more and more people can't afford housing and more and more people are getting assistance from food banks and pantries. How can we address these prosperity gaps? That's a great question. And I don't really know if I have an answer to that, to be honest. I mean, I honestly feel like a lot of the stuff is with maybe like legislators and the decisions that they're making when it comes to maybe accessing food. Like I know all of us are struggling trying to figure out how can I pay to keep my lights on and also eat. And a lot of these people are like living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And so trying to figure out which one am I going to balance? Am I going to take care of my kids and make sure that they have what they need or we're going to keep the lights on? And there's not a lot of like... Um, economic support because let's say you're like a dollar over the limit of maybe poverty then automatically you're denied food stamps or you're denied like social security or whatever it is and so trying to figure out how to like balance that honestly is like the biggest struggle that a lot of people are like dealing with because for example like you're like oh well I know that I need this help I know that I can't afford to pay my bills every month but they look at your paycheck and they're like oh well you're making too much you don't need the help and you're like well you don't live in my house. I do need the help kind of thing. So I think it's a lot of stuff with, like, um, the government and the way that they see things to be. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, we don't. they don't really need the help. So we're not going to give them that help. And it's really sad because a lot of people are, unfortunately, living that kind of life. And we're getting all of this positive stuff coming into the state of Ohio, yet people are literally struggling. Mm-hmm. Are you optimistic? To piggyback off Cassie's question, A lot of people will say, a lot of young people will say they're not that optimistic about their future in terms of a couple of things that Cassie mentioned, being able to afford a house, being able to, to be a parent, you know, a few years down the road, you strike me as a very optimistic person, but I'm just wondering what, what, what you and your peers say about that, that kind of near future. I mean, I am optimistic because I know as more young people get into like positions of power those changes probably will come. And so things might become easier for the young people to be able to like afford to buy a house, afford to maybe like get a new car and then also to have kids and stuff like that. Um, A lot of people say like, oh, it's about the way you budget. But honestly, I feel like it's bigger than just like a budget because budgeting is easy when you're like, oh, I don't have all of these responsibilities. But let's say like something breaks in your house and you have to replace it. All that budgeting just goes out the window. But I am optimistic that there are there is going to be a change. We just don't know when that's going to be because inflation and all this other stuff that's going on that makes it super difficult to pay for everything we want. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I love it. I love it that you're optimistic. <laughs> I love your optimism, Fatima. I feel like every day you're in the office, I get to talk to you. And I just it just lifts my spirits like immediately because you're just so full of light. And and yeah, I mean, you're hopeful and and you're doing the work and you're one of the only people in your community doing this work. And I think that that is really incredible. And I want to hear more about that and your background and your interest in pursuing this work. Um, Just like what drives you? I guess the biggest motivator, honestly, is like my personal struggles, like which I remember like in my interview, Austin asked like, what makes you want to work in this particular field? And I was like, well, I struggled with like thoughts of suicide last year, especially. Um, I've had like the thoughts here and there, especially when like life is you know, Mm -hmm. difficult and stuff. But last year was like one of the worst times 
And I even like checked myself into like a facility because it was just like that bad. And I'm like, if I didn't do that, I don't know if I would still be here today. And knowing that there are a lot of people out there just like me who are struggling daily, trying to figure out like, how do I get myself out of bed? How do I get myself to work? Even though I don't want to, even though I'm like struggling with my mental health, struggling with the thoughts of like just ending it all, not being here anymore. And just knowing that if I can just be a voice for just one person, that's going to be enough for me. And so getting into the work and just especially like for the Muslims, letting them know like, hey, I'm here too. Mm -hmm. And you can struggle and it's okay. You're going to get through it. You just have to push yourself and it's going to be okay. Just know that you're not alone in the struggle. Because like, for example, like in Islam, we're always taught like, you know, to rely on Allah. But he also lets us know like, you have to do the work too. I can do it, but you have to do some too. And so, you know, being able to, like, push myself and tell myself, like, yeah, it's going to be fine. It's going to it's gonna be okay. It's just a momentary, like, setback for, like, a bigger long-term, like, goal. So I just keep telling myself that all the time. And also, like, kind of getting my parents to change for my younger sisters because I have, like, three younger sisters. And I'm like, you guys, they didn't neglect me when it came to mental health, but they didn't understand it. And so oftentimes, like, growing up, it felt like neglect because I'm like, well, I'm here. I'm struggling. I need your help. But you don't know how to help me. And so being able to be that voice for my younger sisters, especially like towards my parents, be like, look, they're struggling. They need your help. They need you to be there. I can be there, but I can't be there the way that you can be there for them. And so also being able to provide them with that like support because they're always like, oh, like Fati, like what do you do at your work? If I have a friend who's suicidal, I'm going to send them to you. And I'm like, pump the brakes. <laughs> That's not the, the specific kind of work that I do, but even just being able to like let them know, like, hey, this is the work that I'm in. I'm here for you if you need me, even if you can't talk to them, I'm That's here. Right. And so that also like motivates me to keep going and showing them, like, hey, guys, you might think that you're going to start off in college and end somewhere else. And God is like, yeah, no, that's not where you're going to be. And, you know, push you somewhere else. And that's really where you're going to be making a change. You're going to be making an impact. And so those little, little, little things here and there is really what drives me all the time. You're an ally. Yeah. You are an ally. And the fact that you said that you checked yourself into a place, that that is a towering sign of strength. And still today, some people look at that as, as quote, weakness. And it is just the opposite, right? Thank you. Yeah, my family members, they didn't know what was going on. They're like, because it was my cousin. She was the one who raised, like, the alarm. She's like, I haven't heard from her all day. And that's not like her. And I'm calling her, and it's going straight to voicemail. And so they all started getting really worried because I didn't tell anybody where I was going. And they're just like, don't ever do that again, please. If you're, like, going through something like that, talk to us. And I'm like, well, I didn't know how to talk to anybody about that. And I don't even know what responses I was going to get from you. I don't want somebody to tell me, like, oh, it's going to be okay. Like, no, that's not enough for right now. I need something more than it's going to just be okay. Right. right. So for people who've heard of AmeriCorps but maybe don't know exactly what it's about, it's the Federal Agency for National Service and Volunteerism. It provides opportunities for Americans of all backgrounds to serve, address the nation's pressing challenges, and improve lives. Um you know, I think, Fatima, if you want to just expand on your AmeriCorps experience and where you hope it will go from here, I think that would be great. It's like one of those things where it's like a stepping stone. That's why I continuously tell myself, I'm like, this is just a stepping stone. It's going to help me get to where I want to be. Um, and honestly, before I even got into like working at OSPF, I always was like, oh, I'm going to work as like a maternal and child health. Um, I'm going to create like a program for like, you know, women of um, underserved communities and create something for their mental health. And it never occurred to me that that was probably not where I was going to go with this. But 
when I got here, I was like, oh, I don't think I want to do that anymore. I think I want to mm. do something else. I want to I want to create something for um, people who have never seen anything like that before. And so um, the goal, which I am not shy to say, <laughs> is to create something for like the Muslim population, create nice. some type of program. Uh, I worked on these like journals. I ordered them. I'm so excited for them to come in. It's just the sample is not the official product yet, but just being able to create that. And so like that's like the long term goal to create something that is going to outlive me. It's going to be something that people can go to and people can look at and be like, hey, I like this. I'm going to use this because I know it's available and I know that it's there. And I know it's from someone who cared enough to create something good to, you know, last a long time. So that's the long-term goal, but... <laughs> That's awesome. And so could that be like its own nonprofit? I mean, are you looking at like creating your own organization down the road? I mean, hopefully, maybe like years to come, that would be great. But right now, just creating like a website and getting like people to know that Ohio hasn't forgotten about the Muslim population. There's something there for them too because a lot of like the um, programs and stuff like that are all in like other states. Like, for example, like Michigan or like Texas or even Pennsylvania, like there's nothing in the state of Ohio. Mm -hmm. And so Muslims are here, too. They don't need to be forgotten about. And so creating something for them here is the goal. <laughs> OK, Fatima, we just absolutely love everything that you've done for us. And we're super excited to see what else you can do with us in this year. Um, it's been such a pleasure working with you. I'm excited you. to see where we go. Your work and your passion and your energy inspire us every day. And we want to thank you for joining us on this podcast. I know it's a little scary, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you did great. And our listeners are, I think it's a privilege to hear from you. And um, when you listen to our episodes, you break stigmas, you break barriers, and you care about mental health and saving lives. This is Voices for Suicide Prevention, brought to you by the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation.